Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, we hear from Bruce Sanguine as he continues our series, The Great Patterns. Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Hello, friends, and um, thank you for the opportunity to be with you as you explore at Eastlake this series on a few different archetypes. And um, I just want to say that I've been um, part of Eastlake as a speaker for a number of years now, and it's such an honor. I, I love what this community is doing, so um, thanks so much. Today, I'm going to uh, spend some time talking about one of the archetypes, the sacred center or the axis mundi. And um, we'll, see, we'll see what we uncover here. When I first heard the topic, I immediately thought of an experience that I had in the jungles of Mexico um, during an ayahuasca ceremony. It's a plant medicine, it's a visionary plant medicine that shamans have been using for centuries, if not millennia. And uh, in this experience, I spent a lot of time purging, which is like purifying. It's like, you know, it's a fancy word for uh, throwing up. And <clears throat> when I opened my eyes after this period, I looked up and what had been a canopy of trees covering the uh, maloka, where the ceremony was taking place, had become this crystal cathedral this domed crystal cathedral where it was, it, it was, it was full of gems, uh, these rare and precious gems. And the, uh, the dome was divided into four quadrants and it converged on a sacred center. And this is what Swiss psychologist Carl Jung would call um, a mandala. Uh, and the experience was such that I realized, I intuitively knew right away, and I said the words out loud, this is the temple of ayahuasca. I realized that this had become a sacred center, and I knew what to do as well. I got on my knees, and I put my forehead to the ground, and I just I gave thanks. And I actually became gratitude because I could see the larger order of things that had been restored to me in this experience. So I think this for me became uh, an experience of the Axis Mundi. All traditions throughout the world have had their unique expression of the Axis Mundi. It is the center of the creation of all worlds, a place where the chaos of the world the chaos of the community, the, the chaos of individuals within the community is reset and right order prevails. So this could be a mountain, it could be a totem pole, a tree, a river, a vortex of energy. 
<clears throat> I think eventually they became temples and churches and mosques. But he, here at these places, a portal opens up that connects the heavens and the earth. And the shamans used to describe it as actually uh, ascending the tree of life where you descend to the upper realms, to the branches, and there's the trunk, the middle world, and descend down to the roots, which was the lower world. It's, um, if you think about uh, in the book of Genesis, there's a story of Jacob arriving at the river Jabbok, and here his past catches up with him. It's a crisis of reckoning. He's going to meet his brother and come to terms with uh, the impact of his deceit, really. And here he wrestles with angels. But he has a dream that night, and he sees a ladder. And on the ladder, the angels are ascending and descending. This is his Axis Monday, um, where he's being invited to, um, to enter into this space where the chaos that he has uh, manifested in his life undergoes a recreation, where he undergoes a death and a rebirth that's <clears throat> in relationship to an original perfection, what the Judeo-Christian scriptures call um, the image of God. And at this place, there must be a death and a rebirth. And it's important to realize here that this, in, in ancient, in the indigenous ways, this is not a repair of the world. It's an actual recreation of the world. Things have gone out of whack. Chaos prevails. And so um, there needs to be connection with the place of creation so that original perfection can be restored. And this is what happens, at least for me, in plant medicine ceremonies. All the false idols of uh, money, power, status, even of the personality itself, fall away in these experiences. I was once in one of these experiences uh, invited in a vision by a council of indigenous elders into their circle around a campfire. And they said that I was being initiated into the order of the pure hearted. Now, I had no ambition uh, for this before I went into plant ceremonies and I didn't even know what this was and I'm still discovering what it is. Um, but this is kind of what happens in this space uh, or can happen anyways. During some of the chanting, whether it's Lakota chanting or this ancient Shipibo chanting, one of the things that happens to me is I feel like my backbone is straightening up and it, it's becoming like a ladder or an axis mundi upon which, um, mm. again, to use that metaphor, the angels are ascending and descending. A portal is opened up to the heavens and to the lower realms and it's happening right within me on that, the axis of my spine where something is activated in all the sacred centers running up and down my spine. So um, <clears throat> this is the sacred center, or the Axis Mundi. Now, I want to contrast that briefly with something that 
that's happening on our planet, in our world right now. And I don't know if you've heard about this uh, on the mainstream media, where everyone's talking about the Great Reset. It's the brainchild of Klaus Schwab, who's the head of the World Economic Forum, who are, this is a gathering of unelected, usually very wealthy people. And uh, he's come up with a plan to reset life on Earth. And when you read his book, it's chock full of solid liberal values, green values, inclusive uh, technologies that are good for the earth, based on principles of justice, etc. And for some reason, when I read this, I don't trust it. Now, it's not because I'm a conspiracy theorist. It's not that I think that there's a group of white men trying to turn us all into slaves or something like that. It's just that I feel like like I question whether these folks who are engineering the reset have been to the sacred mountain. Do you know what I mean? Have they been to the river Jabbok? Do they know what it is to have angels ascending and descending, bringing them messages of, um, of a new order? Because I, I trust that. Have they undergone a true death? Have they been dismantled? Because this is what's required. Uh, a, a dismantling, a death, so that uh, a true rebirth can happen. See, if there's going to be a reset, I want somebody in charge who has been, uh, knows about the tree of life and has ascended and descended and is connected to that original, those original powers of creation. Otherwise, it's merely um, a clever engineering project put in place by those who, who knows? They may be invested in ensuring that it looks good, but nothing actually changes. It's just, you know, the economic disparities that are in place uh, that remain in perpetuity. I don't know. Again, uh, this is not coming from paranoia. It's coming from knowing what it feels like from within to undergo that death. And the wisdom that comes online when you're reborn, because then it's not about you. And it's not about grasping onto your own power, your own status anymore. It's then it's genuinely about wisdom, not cleverness. The wisdom of how to reorder our lives in alignment with the Axis Mundi. Um, <clears throat> so what's the impact? I mean, I've talked a little bit about this, of kind of coming into contact with the sacred center, with this axis. The impact is just the world gets turned upside down. You know, Jesus taught the first will be last, the last will be first. Well, what, you know, what does that mean? If you want to find life, then die. If you want to experience resurrection, Suffer the cross. Follow me. But you'll have to be crucified. It's a path that leads to death, which then leads to a truer life, animated by an order, which is not necessarily, rarely is, the order of the world as it is. 
the ancient cultures had shamans who could perceive when the chaos was threatening to overwhelm the right order, when disease or madness or violence was threatening the community. And at these times, they would actually travel to the mountain or to the river, or they'd get their drum and they start chanting, journeying to the upper and lower realms, connected to the tree of life. And there they would make amends. They call upon the ancestors. They make sacrifices, make their offerings, undergo a death on behalf of the community in order to restore order. And today I'm grateful that there's a, there's a resurgence of what I'll call neo-shamanism, which has its uh, strengths and has its challenges, I think as well. On the positive side, I think it represents a healthy memory of ancient days, a return of the psyche to gather up what's been lost in modernity and post-modernity and reincorporate the old ways. Great. On the downside, what I see is too many people are too easily slipping on the bear claw necklace and presiding over these ancient ceremonies without the rigors of the ancient forms of initiation. The old shamans, and even today, the authentic uh, <clears throat> shamans of today, they would be recognized by the community because they, they would see that these people had been undergone a kind of death. Often the shamans get very sick, undergo a near-death experience, come back, uh, experience this uh, opening this portal between the worlds, the upper worlds and the lower worlds, and uh, know then how to restore right order. So the community selects them. They're not self-appointed by any means. Um, and the danger of this neo-shamanism that's going on is that it can result in merely uh, the formation of a spiritual ego marked by grandiosity, fascination with power, the absence of clear boundaries. And I wonder, I wonder at this point in our history as a species, if what is required is that we each learn what it means to take responsible abilities for the energies that are possessing us personally and collectively. These could be the energies of chaos, so we, we know when we're, we're subject to chaotic en energies and something's off. Or they could be uh, energies of right order. And then we could learn uh, some technologies, if you like, of how to restore this, uh, this right order, this, this energy of the original creation so that the life force could animate us again. And maybe it's time as a species where we need to stop outsourcing this power to um, shamans, priests, ministers, politicians, corporate leaders, and take responsibility and authority for that ourselves. Because these are indeed chaotic times that we're going through now. And the first priority is getting our own affairs in order, to find our own access Monday, our sacred center.
to die what needs to be, you know, uh, to die to die what we, we need to die to, and to resurface as resurrected beings. And that's the challenge. And it's a huge challenge because what I've discovered is that the one thing the ego doesn't want to undergo is a death. It doesn't want to be dismantled. And there's there's some some deep resistance, and, and this is because of trauma, that where it doesn't, it's more, it's so committed to the order of the ego that the order of uh, spirit can't come through. Hey, East Lake, Peter here. Thanks so much for tuning in to watch this message. I wanted to do just a quick interruption to say thank you to so many of you who are making regular contributions to Eastlake. Eastlake is a nonprofit and everything that we do is because of a community of consistent and generous people who really believe in this place and want to see it continue. So uh, if you're a part of that community, thank you for how you make this place go. If you are tuning in regularly and are part of this community, but you haven't yet um, jumped in to making a financial contribution, we would encourage you to do that and encourage you to go to eastlakecc.com to help support Eastlake as a community and continue to make these messages possible. Thanks so much for uh, letting me interrupt your message. Let's jump back in. I think part of the challenge is that uh, we've got to work through this trauma. And it's not just personal trauma, which I'll get to in a moment. The, the, our planet herself has been traumatized for for hundreds of years, it's been visited upon Earth herself with the advent of uh, steam, electricity, technology in the modern era. Earth has been thoroughly conquered and colonized. And she is seen almost exclusively as a resource to feed the economy, not as, a, not as the mother who can feed our souls and animate our lives and who possesses great wisdom. We're poisoning her, but believing somehow in some kind of crazy chaotic way that we'll escape being poisoned ourselves, but it's not happening. Let me give you some personal examples here again of this, this chaos that passes for a right order. We've been searching for a new home in Vancouver for um, months now. And before we make an offer, my wife checks a few things carefully, um, like where the 5G towers and the 4G towers are located. It turns out they're everywhere. There's no escaping them, nor those satellites that are circumventing the planet. I don't remember taking a vote on whether I wanted that, those satellites circling the planet, but there it is. Nobody knows the long-term health effects of this. It's, it strikes me as a little bit crazy. It turns out as well that with these satellites, our personal data is being mined and sold to the highest bidder. Harvard business professor Shoshana Zubov has written a very sobering book called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, describing how big tech, Facebook, Twitter, etc., offers us these free platforms and then without our explicit permission, mines our data and sells it to the highest bidder effectively turning us and other humans into consumers, which is our primary usefulness to a financial system which itself has lost its bearings. And then again, in terms of this search for a home, my wife is a 
kind of a diviner, you know, she can take these rods and find out where water is. Well, it turns out that most of the homes that we look at are built either over a bog or a river or a stream, and this has health hazards. But the larger question is like, who does that as a species? Who, who builds homes over these, these natural systems of these sacred streams and rivers? Well, every city has done this, it turns out. And I haven't mentioned poverty, homelessness, pollution, genetic modification, food that's not actually food. And I'm not a doom and gloom kind of guy. I really am. But there, there's so much beauty. I know there's so much beauty. But also there's insanity that goes by the name of life as usual. We've been hypnotized into accepting what is essentially not human. Well, how does this happen? What does this say about us as a species? And, and I think it says that we, we've lost the access to this sacred center, to, our, to the sacred axis that connects us to the higher realms and to the lower realms so that we can know what it is to be human and then proceed from that place. You might have heard this poem by William Butler Yeats. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. This is our moment, friends, and why it's so important that we connect to this archetype. Be renewed. Be restored. Because I think what's happened to us, in, this, in my work as a psychotherapist, um, I would say that the condition that characterizes our species fundamentally is self-loathing, but we don't know it. We're unconscious of it. We're immersed in a toxic soup of practices that are social, political, economic, relational, personal, that reflect this self-hatred. We don't know what's good for us. And it's only by doing trauma work, personal and collective, and then finding a way to connect to those natural creative energies that we're going to be able to heal and regain our sanity. Now, if you know me at all, you may not be surprised to hear me say what I'm about to say. And that is that the portal that connects the heavens and the earth is love. It's the ladder upon which the angels are allowed to descend and ascend with secret messages to whisper in our ears, you are loved beyond measure. Put down this self-hatred. Treat yourselves and each other with respect and dignity. Return to your sacred center. You are, in fact, love itself in a human form. <clears throat> but this love 
is not a sentiment, it's, it's a practice. It's hard work. It's a lifetime of work. It's a lifetime of practice. A continual resourcing, resourcing ourselves so that we don't get lost in the self-loathing that passes for normal and call that a life. And you've heard me say this before, perhaps some of you who are familiar with my work, but, but this work of love begins at birth with those new souls who are arriving. And either they get the message that they are precious beyond measure, radiant, beautiful, welcome, a gift, or they don't. And anything other than the message that they are beautiful beyond measure begins a process of these little souls having to make sense of what they've done incarnating into this world. Like, what's going on here? And very often the conclusion that they come to is that, I guess I'm bad. I guess there's something wrong with me. I guess it's all my fault. And live with a lifetime of a, a, a sense of guilt, just existential guilt for having arrived because they're confused as hell by not being welcomed, which is what they were expected. So there's the trauma work that needs to be done. We need to undo that message that is eventuated in self-loathing so that we can be open to the love that is the original powers of creation that will reshape us and reshape the world itself. And without actually resonating with this Axis Monday, all attempts to engineer this into existence will be reflections of the ego, not of the sacred center, not of the soul, not of spirit, and it will spell trouble. In fact, this is the transhumanist project you know, insert nanochips into our brains, become faster, smarter, more efficient, better able to make logical decisions that don't have to pass through this mess of human feeling. And so there's been this proliferation of the cyberpunk genre of film, the fascination of what we can make of ourselves. The human is an engineering and technological challenge. There are no limits, or if there are, these limits are meant to be merely exceeded. It's the Tower of Babel story all over again, and it's happening to us right now. We actively refuse to take our place in this body, in space, in time, in nature, with these people, with all the implied limitations and see despite such limitations unspeakable beauty and order. So what then is the way forward? Where do we go from here? I'll just offer a few possibilities. You can perhaps make your own list. Like what, what are some practical steps? First, I would say do, do your trauma work in my work as a psychotherapist, this is primarily what is, what is healing people. It's just that they're, they're uncovering the layers of lovelessness that cause them to um, 
to believe that they were essentially bad. And it's not true. And these failures of love disconnect us from our own sacred center and disconnect us from being able to enter into those places in nature that are the axis mundi. Second, you could build a, a sacred altar, an axis mundi, in your own home. Pray to whatever gods, goddesses, or ancestors you wish, but pray, actively open the portal. We're each now responsible for this opening that connects the heavens and the earth in, through, and as us. Third, cultivate reverence, gratitude, and a devotional stance towards life. This, I think, more than anything, enables us to see that potentially we are an Axis Mundi, and every lake, every tree, every mountain is potentially that vortex of the original creation. Be in reverence, gratitude, in devotion. If you're able, moving on, attend an ayahuasca ceremony or some other plant medicine ceremony. Next, love your children. Love them, love them. That's what they're here for. That's what you're here for. Just love them. You can find a place in nature, a stream, a hill, or a mountain. For me, one of the Axis Monday experiences I had was in a wheat field outside of Milton, Ontario. Another one was in a cafe eating an egg salad sandwich where it all opened up. This big wind. So find those places near you and spend time there. Go to them. Settle yourself. Be open to the wisdom of the tree, of the mountain, of the river. See what, see what the angels who are ascending and descending in that place have for you. What messages. I would say most of us need to slow down. There's much that's trying to catch up to you and to me that we're running from. Let it all find you. Let it be. Love all that comes to you. And finally, remember that everybody is fighting a great battle daily. Everyone you meet, cultivate patience and compassion and start with yourself. Give up judgment for compassion. Friends, it's been a pleasure being with you and I wish for you uh, every blessing. Bye for now and we'll see you again. Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.